0: Damn! episode 15 of Stats on Matters here. We are old enough in podcast years, in episodes, that we can get a, a restricted driver's license. We're, we're, yeah, about to, we're about to leave the nest. We've, we've almost got our official podcast license. Uh, and on this episode, we're going to break down the next round of the NHL and NBA playoffs. Uh, that means, of course, we have to laud the Celtics' awesome victory and say some hopeful and touching words in memoriam of the bees' postseason. That was not. Uh, We're going to stop into NFLville and bring some tennis news in to wrap it all up. And on this week's edition of What's in My Cup, Stout Season Tim, is it Stout Season yet? I mean, we're barely into September and you're already crushing the stouts. First of all, it's
1: always Stout Season. Second of all, it went from it went from Satan's taint hot around here (laughs) for weeks to then suddenly it's like 50 degrees at night every night, and it overnight it turned to
0: fall. So. Yeah, I don't, I don't know about that. I, I was it's, crushing stouts midsummer. Uh, Whatever. There's there's one in every crowd. Uh, so we're going to have a stout from Oxford, Connecticut, and, of course, an India pale ale, this time from Tulsa, Oklahoma. Thanks to everyone listening to this Stats No Matter Podcast. Find it wherever you get your podcasts. Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, the World Wide Web. Uh, Follow us on all of the socials. Yes, all of them. You make sure you want to follow uh, us on Twitter at Stats Podcast and on Instagram at Stats No Matter. Let's get into the show. Yeah, buddy. Tim, we have not talked about golf about six podcast episodes because Tom Brady and Peyton Manning aren't playing golf, but that doesn't mean golf hasn't been playing. Hit us up. What's going on?
1: I mean, I don't know about you. I'm an avid golfer. Well, I take that back. I'm an avid golf fan. I'm a mediocre at best golfer, to be honest. Uh, Yeah, what's your handicap? Like, 53? I don't know if they can measure as high as it would take for me to actually have a handicap, um, but it's 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 up there, uh, but hey! Before yeah. we get started, congratulations, my friend, on your recent grown up.
0: Oh yes, yes, acquisition yes. At, at the uh, at the thrilling age of uh, thirty three thousand years old. I am finally the recipient of a, a dwelling, four walls and a roof. Uh, my wife and I <laughs> bought a house. Yes, we are making our roots here in Northern Virginia. We are very very excited. Not so excited about this mortgage payment, but, you know, then again, rent is like a mortgage payment down here. So it's not that different for me, really. Yeah. But thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. And it it means, you know, this this podcast podcast's little humble roots from me starting this thing and interviewing Adam Schefter in my closet uh, to being in a kitchen. And then we're going to have our our own room with a door that I can close. It's almost like a podcast deal. I hang up some of that, like, egg carton stuff on the walls to sort of dampen this You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. If you thought the quality was good in the first 15 episodes, you ain't seen nothing yet. Yeah, yeah. I'm trying to I'm trying to sell the wife
1: on letting me put some of that up in the office. It's not going well. So we'll see what happens. <laughs> because you
0: buy it from like uh like yard sales, you're just like, Oh, I'll take this mattress pad or whatever. And you're like, you're not putting that up with a wall, Tim. It probably has asbestos in it. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> asbestos and bed bugs. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> anyway. So You know who doesn't have those problems? Golf. Golf players don't have those problems whatsoever.
1: No, John Rahm does not have that problem. Uh, coming off of his big win at the BMW Championship over the weekend, one of the craziest finishes we've seen in a little while. Uh, I know you didn't watch it because, well, you don't watch golf. But yeah. uh, Dustin Johnson sank a 43-plus foot putt that wound around like an anaconda on the way down to the hole. I
0: did to see the force- clip, yeah.
1: Yeah, to force an overtime. Then, all right. Well, sorry. They they call it a, a playoff in golf. But uh, Rom answered with his own crazy, crazy sixty-six foot putt that shot like three feet left, curved out like a crescent moon, and sunk in. Neither he nor Dustin thought it was going to go in. They were sort of walking up. Dustin was walking up to prepare for his next shot, and when it sunk in, the excitement on John's face uh, was the polar opposite of the shock on Dustin's face because it was an unreal shot. Uh, but it was a it was a crazy weekend for Rom. He had a terrible first two rounds, shooting 36 and was plus six. Include his own penalty stroke in error by picking up his ball prior to marking it. And then went 9-under. Obviously come back and, and win the tournament. It was, a, it was a good weekend. Phil Mickelson also had a hell of a weekend. Uh, he, he won his Champions Tour debut this weekend. Anybody who follows golf, that should make you feel a little old. When a golfer you follow throughout his career graduates into the old man's club. Uh, he was sort of synonymous with Tiger and that crowd. For anybody who got into the Tiger era, uh, for anybody who doesn't know what the uh, Champions Tour is, it's where PGA Tour players go when they get old, right? Um,
0: still great golf. It's like the Masters for like uh, athletics or you know competitions, <laughs> right? It's like the it's like the forty five and up like age club where you're you're still in like the prime physical condition of your life relative to your age group. But 19- and 20-year-olds are just going to wipe the table with you.
1: Yeah, but here's where age really shows some of that difference. He ran the table this weekend. He tied the low uh, score through 54 rounds with a 191. Um, But he also became one of eight players total to win both a U.S. amateur, a major, and a championship tour title. Uh but he just smoked the rest of the field. It wasn't even it wasn't even close. So I think it goes to show while he may be losing a step on, you know, drive distance with guys like Rory and Dustin and, and, and some of these up-and-comers, uh, he might still be a little bit too good for the group that he's playing in, but a hell of a weekend for him also. Uh one thing worth noting over the weekend is that the other name we just mentioned, Tiger Woods. Did not have such a great weekend. Uh, he oh, shot, really? Yeah. Oh, I'm shocked. He shot 11 over and shot over par in all four rounds for the only, it's only the fifth time in his professional career that that's happened. So, first time since 2010, the WGC Brid- uh, Bridgestone Invitational, um, which to show obviously he can bounce back, but I think it shows a little bit more light onto the fact that he still hasn't found his game. When we have the next major coming up in two weeks. So, outlook not so good for him. Um, nowadays, you tend to see the same 10 names floating around the leaderboard other than, you know, a couple of weeks ago,
0: your favorite golfer. What was his name? Uh, Colin Morikawa Bell. Get a <laughs> fever. And the only... <laughs> <laughs> the only cure for this fever is Morikawa Bell. I got to tell you about that guy. You know, he he won that PGA Tour championship. He got $2 million in the purse. And uh, because of taxes, which is maybe you maybe you know, it's, it's a semi-useful thing in this country or oppressive, depending on how you look at it. They took almost a million off the top. Mm-hmm. That man won $2 million, and they said, we'll take half. Unbelievable. But yes, keep going.
1: <laughs> yeah, it, it it's it's good to see guys like that kinda poking around the leaderboard and winning some because it tends to be the same ten guys you hear about all the time. Jason Day, Justin Thomas, Rom, Johnson, Tiger, Kepka, all those guys. Although Kepka's been struggling as of late. Um went through a lot of off season sort of adjustments both with his body the way he works out he's been pretty vocal about that he lost some weight kind of changed up some of his shape a little bit um but it's it's good to see sort of a little bit of a shake up i think one of the things that tends to play golf a little bit uh is that it is sort of like you know it's not i don't mean when i say good old boys club in the same mannerism that it's usually meant but it's usually the same guys who are always at the top which means come Sunday if they're not in the top viewership tanks or it used to happen a lot with Tiger when he was in his prime anytime he was playing on a Sunday viewership was up you know double digits uh and I think what you're tending to see now is it's so condensed to you know the top ten players that anytime those guys fall out of the weekend, it tends to kind of affect viewership in total i think this might be a good season for some of these shakeups and some of these newer names because you now you can turn it off but what else are you gonna <laughs> what else are you gonna do really um yeah i see that
0: plus i think that golf is a cyclical sport in that the, the same people like you said are up towards the top for a lot but then for whatever reason the wheel breaks and there's just a vj singh or a Bubba wallace or a mora cowbell that just, that just comes out of nowhere. And, and you know what I mean? It sort of rejuvenates, I guess, like a little bit of faith. I don't watch golf religiously, but yeah. I'm smart enough to, when I look on the tweet sphere and I start seeing people shoot a 66, I'm like, okay, I can I can turn it on for 30 minutes. I, I'll never watch all 18 unless I'm really invested, but I'll watch like, you know, six or seven of the back nine for sure. That's where the drama is. Right. And then you got, well, I mean, you got to watch Saturday
1: because that's moving day. That's all the big. uh, That's when people start taking some of the risks. You kind of realize where you are in the field and on the leaderboard and how you shape your game going into the weekend. Once you made the cut, I mean, the cut is basically okay, you have made safe passage into the weekend and you're not going to get bounced out of the tournament Saturday or Sunday. If you've made it to Saturday, then it's the time to start putting the pressure on. Um, I think. A tournament worth watching for anybody who is a casual fan. Uh, the U.S. Open is in a couple of weeks from now. That is always a great, great event. Um, it's one that Jordan Speeth has had a lot of success at. It's one that you see a lot of really exciting play going into the weekend because it's a really, really tough course. So you have a lot of guys to root for, guys like Spieth, guys like Tiger, guys like Phil who are sort of getting, you know, Phil and Tiger – are constantly fighting against time. You have speed fighting to find his game where he constantly shows little glimmers. He's one of those guys that I tend to pull for every time he plays, and it kind of breaks your heart a little bit to see the quality of his game at the moment feels very much like the quality of my own
0: game and how it's a constant <laughs> well, struggle. Good. Yeah, You can identify with, with the struggling professional golfers of the world. That's not a he, bad company to be in. Yeah, I mean, watching,
1: it, it, it's tough. He had such success over the course of you know three or four years you know leading up to about two years ago where he's already likely cemented himself as a hall of fame golfer just based off of the success he had in a short period of time right he's won away from you know the grand slam if you will for for majors and he his short game was one of the best i've ever seen um uh, but the tough part is he's also going to be in the same conversation as one of the biggest sort of collapses uh, that we've ever seen. But he's still young. He's got lots of time. I mean, most of these guys are playing well into their 40s and 50s, and they obviously move on, but he's still got another 15, 20 years or so to kind of sort this stuff out. So I'm not too worried about it, but um, I do I do hope that there's a little bit of a shakeup. It would be cool to see someone who's relatively unknown come in and, and sneak away with uh, the open. But... Like we just said, Dustin just hopped back into the number one world ranking again, and and Rom climbed up that leaderboard, and Thomas is nipping at their heels. So, you know, I'm sure it'll end up being one of the normal ten to fifteen players we see all the time. But I might be, I might be rooting for the field on this one if Tiger's not in contention going into the weekend. Which I mean, spoiler, he's probably not going to be. But, but uh, we, already well, got, we already got one, Michael Collins. <laughs> if if he listens to this, probably not. Him and I made a bet two years ago when Tiger started having a little bit more success. And if you don't know Michael Collins, uh, he runs a podcast for ESPN. He's one of the um, primary golf analysts that we have, was a caddy, a stand-up comedian,
0: loves golf. Oh, yes. I love that, dude. Yeah, I, I, I'll watch SportsCenter just to get his take on the course. Yeah. He's brutal. He doesn't, he doesn't really hold back. When, like, when he talks about if someone really ducked it up in the round, he'll let you know. And, yeah. like, he and SVP go back and forth. Oh, it's just chef's kiss. It's so, so good. Yeah, so we made a bet uh,
1: going into, was it last season? Was that the last season or the season before that Tiger would win a major? And he thought he would never win an end of the major again. Uh, we had talked about a. there's a really nice restaurant uh, in Connecticut called Arethusa. If you're in Connecticut, find it. It's amazing food. It's like New York dining across state lines here in Connecticut. The owners of Manolo Blahnik are the, I don't know if I even said that right, but they run this program and it's phenomenal. But we made a bet that if Tiger Woods won a major, he would have to treat to my fine dining experience and I would have to do the same. Uh, And Tiger won. And I have not heard from this man. I don't want to say I'm getting ghosted, but I might be getting ghosted.
0: So he there's won't be always after a chance. This episode goes live, and I tag him on Twitter. <laughs> there's
1: always a chance for Tiger to to make a move and surprise everybody. He still got it. He still shows a little bit, but you know, obviously not leading up into this weekend.
0: Yeah, you know, I feel like Tiger is at that part of his career where you know he probably didn't want to go out the way that he did, and and I can appreciate it. Um, you know, you want to you want to write your own ending to your own story. Uh, there is going to be fantastic thirties for thirty about this guy one day. There'll be books written about him, and that will be great because of what he did for the sport of golf, for sure. Uh, I just, like you said, if it's the same 10 people, if you're not really into golf, you're probably not going to pay too much attention to it. So we got to see some of those more guys, I just try to do it there, those more guys, those Morikawa guys, uh, like Colin Morikawa, who won the PGA Championship this year, a cool $2 million and paid the IRS a lot of it. I mean, like he began his PGA Tour with 22 consecutive made cuts, right? A feat that only Tiger Woods has surpassed with make, you know, making 25 in a row. Now he's already got three PGA tour wins this year, a major championship, uh, and two runner-up finishes, right? So, like, I don't know what it is about golf, but whoever is the hot person doesn't stay hot for very long. Like, golf is is a sport that you really it's a slow burn, right? So, like you made a joke about Phil going to the the champions tour or going out, you know, to the the Masters League, if you will, of golf, but man. We, we got to get the infusion of the Utes, hmm. my cousin Vinny. Yeah, you know, <laughs> these two Utes. Got to get the Utes out playing golf. Um, and, I mean, Morikawa, he's a, he's the fourth golfer to win a PGA Championship before turning 24 years old. The only other people on that list besides him are Jack Nicholas, Tiger Woods, and Rory. Okay, so he shot that 64 blew right past this Johnson and and the rest of the pack. I mean that Mm -hmm. Eagle that he had on the par four sixteenth in the PGA Championship to take a two stroke lead and never give it back. I mean, I I watched I'm transfixed by that that video clip. So like, I'm all about the golf stories that come out of nowhere. The VJs. uh, You you know, I love those types of stories. Doesn't mean I won't watch a masters. I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, seeing someone get it, you know, getting one of those jackets for the first time like doesn't matter if they if they want it one time or five times or or whatever. It, it it's definitely very, very good. But you know, for the, for most of the casual fans, golf is one of those things you're like, listen, you have my attention on Sunday, but you're not gonna get it Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Now, I mean, we are at a dearth for sports right now. So right. <laughs> maybe you do have Fridays and Saturdays open. If uh, you know,
1: like if, if you need like, if you need someone to root for, pick like a Tony Finale. Or, like, uh, Matsuyama or something like that. Finao has been obviously part of the conversation for the last few years. He's done great. In fact, notably last year, uh, he popped his ankle out and then ended up going out. Yeah, he, uh, made a hole in one and while running up to celebrate, Twisted ran backwards and fully dislocated his ankle and then continued to play, uh, very, very good golf,
0: uh, for the rest of the tournament. So, see, this, this, this is, these are the types of golf stories. That I need to be hearing, yeah. Not the oh Tiger Woods shot a forty three on the front nine. I like I'm, I'm falling asleep by that. But you oh, tell but me a guy like man snaps his ankle like, and continues to play. I'm about it. Let's go. No, but see, this is what you got to get excited about Tiger. That man
1: has had so many back surgeries and knee surgeries, and his body is a shell of what it used to be. So anytime he can get out and perform at a high level, it is just like first of all, he's he's the one that really drove the momentum of all these big powerlifting. Big heavy swingers now, like uh, Rory, followed in his footsteps, where his workouts became like very weight centric and very strength oriented. And in fact, a couple years ago, he got called out by a couple commentators saying that that's not the way to do it. You shouldn't you, you shouldn't be doing that. This is why you're injury prone. And his response was to post on social media a video of him squatting you know, several Mm -hmm. hundred pounds and tagging them in it. So it started, started the movement, but it shows how that level of aggressive swing really takes a toll on the body. So anytime someone like that, who's been as banged up as you, I mean, there were years he tried to play where he couldn't swing a club without his back being in excruciating pain. So to see him get out and have any level of it's for me, it's exciting to watch because I watched the rise, the maintenance, the decline, and then sort of the, slow steady back uphill and now you're wondering whether that's going to continue to rise a little bit if it's gonna plateau or if we've seen sort of the best of it. So if you need a storyline, that's one to watch. Watching Tony go into it for you now. Uh if you like the old guys, Phil, there's there's plenty of storylines to to look out for Jordan tends to do well here. He might find a way to turn it around. Golf is one of those weird things where you tend to forget anybody who's not like in the top three. For every tournament last year, you know, we gave a lot of grief to Jordan just because of his play. But if you look at how many times he was within the top 10, uh, he ended up having like, I don't, even, I don't even remember what it was. I thought it was like 10 top 10 finishes and all everybody could talk about is how he wasn't winning tournaments anymore. So there's lots of little subtle ones that if you don't follow golf, you might not be aware of. But it's, uh you know, actually Jordan may have been the, the year before we had a bunch of top 10 finishes. He struggled a little bit last year, but anyway, that's, that's some to, to root for. It seems like a nice enough dude. Who's just on the verge of finding his game, but join me on Sunday. We'll zoom, we'll zoom through the whole thing so we can uh, watch it together.
0: <laughs> so I can ask questions like, what the hell did he just do right there? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because every, every time I, and anyone who's ever played golf with me, and I can count on both hands, the number of times that's happened. Um, we you know we always play scramble or whatever and my ball is never the one that is selected because it I, I slice like the like the soft drink like the orange soft drink you know what I mean like I have to stand on the tee and and try and do some Pythagorean theorem to get the ball like I got to shoot into the woods to get the ball to curve around and come back with any semblance of landing on the fairway I'm just I'm one of the worst golfers I'm sure ever however I do think that I could in 25 years beat Tiger Woods. Probably because, you know, he's a little bit further down than I I haven't had as many back surgeries as he has. Anyways, we got on a tangent here, but yes, golf. And actually, we should do that this Sunday. We should, should at least zoom for a little bit because it's, it's, it's,
1: it's two weeks from now. We'll, we'll, oh. we'll make a, da- we'll a date out of it. Um, <laughs> the last thing I'll say on golf, for anybody who's listening who's terrible at golf, but you have any kind of interest or maybe you're having kids and they might be interested in it, take a lesson take one lesson, it'll change a lot of the way you approach the game, how you swing and that median improvement or any kind of improvement is where the hooks get in. That leads to seeing what's happening on the television and then appreciating how difficult it is. And how, like I've been golfing for a long time. I still can't put backspin on the ball. I can't curve a shot the way I want it to be. But if you have any interest, you want to get into it, you want to find a reason to watch golf on the weekends take a lesson. Take a couple lessons. You can do them indoors now. You can do them outdoors. doesn't matter. Take one. The change in your game will make a drastic difference and the interest will follow. Once you become once you understand what you're doing wrong and how to improve that's when the hooks are set and that's when you huh. start keeping that ball rolling. And it's something well, you can play until my my grandfather-in-law played golf into his late
0: 90s. Like you can literally play golf with anyone for oh, her. yeah, so I, I don't doubt that. I, I, I worked at a golf course for a summertime, I mowed greens and and aprons and, and approaches. And, um, you know, the, the general rule of thumb is the older the crowd that's playing golf, you, you know, the better they are. Yeah, you you might be a whole bunch of young business executives that are slamming scotch and and you know, bud lattes like uh, you know, on the fourth tee, but for the most part, those guys and gals, because there are some women golfers who are like 60, mm. they show up and they're there beating you to the first tee in the morning. That is just crazy. It's like, what? Yeah. You guys, sleep in. It's you consistency, I mean? man. It's consistency. Yeah. You don't need to bomb
1: it 300 yards if you can bomb it 150 yards twice in a straight line. Because that guy who probably bombed it 320 yards is probably going to shank or hit it fat on the next one. And he'll be two-putting or more for... Bogey, double bogey while you're, you know, dancing on the edge. I've lost many times to people who hit about half the distance I can, but it's consistency. If you know where that ball is going to land every time, you're going to beat me 100% of the time. 100% of the time.
0: Moving on. Good stuff. Good stuff. Well, as we talked about last episode, we are now in the playoffs for both the NBA and the NHL, and the NBA finals have, uh, for the most part, not disappointed anymore, right? Uh, We talked about Boston. Go ahead and sweep into 76ers. There have been three overtime games already. Uh, there have been 40-point blowouts. There has been some drama thus far in the series. Okay? Now, one thing I do kind of like is that for the most part, the teams that we expected to win going into the bubble and the eight-seeding games are doing exactly what we thought they would. Okay? So Boston swept the 76ers in the East. Raptors swept the Nets. Probably should have seen as the Nets were trotting out AAU players at this point. Uh, The Pacers lost four in a row to the Miami Heat. Uh, And the Heat have actually got one game on the Milwaukee Bucks, who won their first series against the Magic 4-1. to So you're already seeing some instances of playoff basketball kind of throwing you up on the head. Like you expect the four and the five seeds to play a little bit tougher so when you sweep, you're just kind of like, that doesn't make sense. Yeah, You expect the number one seed to kind of roll over the number eight in the East, and that's exactly what happened here. Uh, in the West, throw logic out the window. <laughs> like the, the Trailblazers beat the Lakers on game one, like we said last time, and everyone's like, oh, my God, what's going to happen? Is this it for LeBron? And then LeBron had a players-only conversation in the locker room. Who knows what he said? And they won the next four. So they're going to face the winner of either the Rockets – or the Thunder, who are currently three-three. Like I, I don't really care who wins out of that series, because to be honest, neither one of those teams is good enough to beat the Lakers, in my opinion. No. It, it it is it is tough, but at the same time, like you can give the Clippers some grief for load management, but what you can't give the Lakers grief for is the fact that the majority of their team for a long time has always been like sort of poo-pooed, uh, whatever. Now, now LeBron comes in and things are going to change. And like, yes, you're going to have those off nights. But just like Kirchin said last week, like whenever he has a bad night, he's still the focus of the game. So until that mm-hmm. team doesn't have LeBron James, I don't see it being any different. Now is, where we've seen a, some...
1: It is a weird... Okay, go com- ahead. I was going to say, it is a weird sort of conversation that I keep hearing involving LeBron James and the Lakers, Anthony Davis, and... Kuzma. The conversation is always like he needs another person. He needs another person. He needs another person. I don't. I don't understand a man of that caliber who we can't stop talking about it, every time someone brings up NFL. I'm sorry, the NBA playing with one of the other best players in the entire league and then a couple up and comers can't find success. Like I get it. Basketball is not a one man show which is why every time he goes to the team, they stack the team. But I don't understand this conversation revolving around how he needs another third big-name player. Like, is it always a big three with LeBron? Does he not have enough oomph to carry a team through the playoffs if the guy backing him up and playing with him is also in, like, the top five players in the league? I You have two Players on your team that any team would trade half of their team for to get them on their roster. And the conversation isn't about shortcomings. It's about, I mean, it's, it's, I don't know if it's the quality of play from other teams, but I don't, I don't understand what the, the legacy and the greatness of LeBron James, everyone's constantly talking about. Why are we always talking
0: about having to put another all star player on his team for him to have success? And my counterpoint to that is I think that just like when the Warriors came out, it was the Splash Brothers oh, it's the a splashboard. They're so good. Like, if you can't stop them from beyond the arc, like, you're not going to be able to beat them. Uh, and then they had speed on the inside. So then once they, they're they more established players like uh, Iguodala and Green and started, like, taking some of that, then you start to go, oh, well, they have two A-plus players and two B-plus players, at least. Then you throw Durant in there, and you're just like, all right, this is, this is a death squad. And I think with a lot of LeBron James teams, teams know how to defend against LeBron James to a point, but what they don't know how to do is defend against three LeBron James. Like nice. prototypical size and and stats, right? Not that they matter. But uh when you take a look at the Lakers team, for the most part, outside of LeBron, like yeah, they'd be a middle of the road team. Right? They, they hadn't been to the playoffs for a long time. The Buste family wanted to make sure that they kind of got back to that. And I do think in this 2020 season, which is for Kobe Bryant, rest in peace, um the Lakers are probably paying, playing, I would say, above their means right now. Uh, there's definitely more talent like right, right now between the Rockets and the Thunder, right? I mean, they're three and three. So are the Nuggets and the Jazz. Like there have been some 50-point games that have gone uh, in the in the Nuggets Jazz series that you're just kind of thinking like, oh, my goodness, what in the world is going on here? The Clippers and, and the Mavs, I mean, there was a 145 to 111, like blowout, utter mm-hmm. destruction. But for the most part, the Lakers, I I think, just sort of benefit from the fact that like, talent just gravitates towards them. So Mm -hmm. like you always have to be constantly fine tuning the machine. It's sort of like the New England Patriots or the Yankees uh, or the, I mean, poo poo, the Boston Red Sox when they, when they used to be good before 2020 Uh, like you're always going to have those teams that just have a a ton of firepower anyways, and they're going to be perennial contenders. And and unfortunately for everyone in the West in the tough division, uh, the big bruiser on the block right now is the Lakers. So like for me, if the thunder go to face the Lakers five games, if the Rockets go to face the Lakers, five games, maybe six games. Like there's there's nothing about those two teams because they play each other harder than I think they would play the Lakers that would make me believe that this is anything except for a Clippers Lakers conference final. It like that, that that just that is what it's going to be for me mm-hmm. in my head. And on, on the east side, Boston is already up 2 0 on the Raptors. Now, the previous four times they played, they won three, they lost one. Uh they won tonight's game by three points which <laughs> you're looking for nail biters. I mean, again, I get the Kawhi's not there, but the team has talent. So Boston seems to be using their depth and being able to get to a place where they're, they're going to be making some, some really, really good runs here. They just have to sustain it. And they have to make sure that like you don't rush Hayward back because you don't want to do that. If you, if you rush him back and then he ends up re-injuring you know, himself, like you don't have him for the rest of the conference. Like let that dude sit Morris Tatum Brown, Kemba, like, they're coming together. Let that team gel. Yeah, But the team, yeah. I was going to say Tatum is uh, in the
1: running, probably like ninth or 10th on the list for playoff MVP this season. So, like, I've always been a bigger fan of the Celtics and their playoff runs when some of their big name, I've said it before, when some of their big name players aren't on the bench, I think they tend to sort of divide and conquer a little better overall. They tend to rally a little bit. I mean, you can't say Tatum is not a big player anymore. He's been in the discussion for years now. Um, But I like our chances a little better with some of those big name guys on the bench, unfortunately. So I'm holding out for him. But then, you know, you have guys like LeBron and then you look on the opposite side and you look at the Nuggets where you have Jamal Murray, who is now being compared to, uh, LeBron, at least in this playoff run, obviously not overall, but in this playoff run, when he's literally willing the Nuggets to victories in some of these game forty, fifty, you know, point games individually, um, so it's it's just an it's just odd to me that when we, when we look at that side, we're like, oh man, look at these guys; these guys are great, the development players. Look at the success that they're having, and then as soon as we get to LeBron, it's oh, they're having a lot of success, but we need to give him another All Star.
0: It's it's a nah. fair point. It's nah. a it's a fair point, um, but obviously when you go to a big market team, you know, money is like monopoly money. It, it does it does get thrown around, and in the pursuit of excellence and to fine tune that, um, you will do whatever you want. Like th- this, it's in a weird way. This is a, this is a weird crossover sort of metaphor, but it's like if you took cars from the Fast and Furious <laughs> against actual Italian and like French like sports cars, it would never happen, right? Like right. The, Ferraris are tuned. To do Ferrari things, and you can put 50 grand in a Honda Civic, but it is never going to be a Ferrari. Right. And unfortunately, for a lot of teams in the West, they're Honda Civics with 50k under the hood, and they're going against Ferraris. One team that we didn't talk enough about because uh, their slogan is "Fear the Deer," and to be honest, they've been the boogeyman for the past couple of seasons. Yep. And and that's the Milwaukee Bucks. Yep. They're down one against the Miami Heat right now with you know the Jimmy Butler resurgence which good for him because there's been so much that's been talked about Jimmy Butler but he's on a team now he's with Eguodala and they are just sort of pulling it together uh, and the fact they're able to stun the Bucks in, in game one is great right. anyways but I really do think that I mean Giannis on a like he's going to be the MVP this year yeah both
1: regular season so, and he's yeah.
0: like in the top three four playoffs like
1: it's just yeah. he,
0: he is the heir apparent to LeBron James throne in my eyes and i mean he's a fantastic basketball player for sure so if if the heat want to make it interesting then in game 2 and in game 3 regardless of what happens in game 2 if they lose in game 2 not a big deal but like they should win game 3 because if they don't like all that momentum just kind of gets sucked back because milwaukee is is a team that's built if you punch them you had better put them down because once they get back up and they get going they're just very, very hard to move, and and I don't think that's a scenario you want to be in if you're the Heat. You just don't want to live off your laurels for that for that game one. So I mean, he's uh, Giannis is basically
1: carrying that team as a one man show. The second in command is averaging I, I don't remember what it was like seventeen points per game. Um, oh no, sorry, I think it's closer to like thirteen points, and it's like a seventeen point difference between what. Giannis scoring versus Middleton scoring. So for me, it's, I think if anyone on the box were to step up and really sort of take that number two spot, I could see them.
0: I could see them making a run the whole way. I I mean, if you look at at teams in the future though, that we would see, like, like you said, like there's a, a top 10 or 15 that are always sort of in it for golf. Um, if you look at this, this year's playoff snapshot, like I could see that being the same thing going forward. Now, obviously the Mavs got knocked out by the Clippers in in round one, you know, four to two, but the Mavs try to keep it interesting. Luca had some really good moments. He's another one of those players that's kind of up and coming. I think if the Mavs can sort of get some more players to elevate, sort of like what you're saying that the Bucks have, right? Like Giannis can can just be Giannis every single night. But if if your traditional game style thought is well, we're going to double Giannis and we'll die by a thousand cuts everywhere else. Like if that's what we have to do, that's not, the Milwaukee's not the team you want to do that with because they have enough people, like you said, that can come out and score double digits every night. And if they get some boards uh, and assists, then all of a sudden you're trying to figure out, all right, we have to double Giannis, but who else are we like floating coverage to? Because we have to stop someone else from cutting us up too. The Mavs don't have that right now, um, but I think, you know, let's say that had they they drawn Denver in the first round, like they could have won that series. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yep. And they you draw the clippers and that doesn't work out for you. But I yeah, mean yeah. playoff basketball thus far has actually been pretty good. So happy about that. In my limited viewing.
1: Uh <laughs> yes. I uh it's one of those sports for me that I always like keep in the background and I get really into like the last uh two weeks of the season. Once it's kind of fleshed out, uh, it's just, a. I mean, basketball is a lot to watch. It's like a, a sprint with baseball. Anytime you get into like a, a playoff stretch where it just goes on for, for months. Um, but from what I have been watching, this has been one of the more, it's for me, one of the more interesting post-seasons one for the condensed shortened season players who have opted out and then seeing some of these guys really start shining and taking the mantle for their teams. Donovan Mitchell's playing like crazy. He played like crazy the, you know, the whole post season. Um, I know this whole thing will get an asterisk as it should get an asterisk. It's hard to compare a condensed season to a full season and conditioning and all that sort of stuff. But to see, to see all these young guys uh, start making names for themselves, start, Really leading teams, uh, I think it's going to make some of the free agencies going into the next seasons uh, interesting because you might have guys who might look to go to teams like the Nuggets uh, or the Mavericks or, or something versus you know those guys getting pulled into teams like the Lakers where all you're going to have is just you know a, a stacked you know, you have like five stacked teams and then the rest of the league. It seems like you have these players who are starting to pop up. Who are really starting to make names for themselves now whether this is going to carry on into the next season when you're playing a full-length season um who knows i'm sure some will get better some will kind of you know gravitate back towards the mean but i do think it kind of makes interesting conversations going into the next season so i pay attention a lot more in the off season than i do during the regular season i like the trades i like you know the moves the teams make it's just too long of a season for me to invest a lot of time, you know, during the regular season. Uh, but this might be one. I actually watch more going into next season than I have previous, just because of all the changes and to see how everyone kind of bounces back from not only a condensed season,
0: but a condensed off season where you have to then get back into the swing of things pretty quickly. So I'm here yeah. for it. Yeah. Another team uh, you're probably going to want to keep an eye on is, is the Clippers. Uh, obviously, with all their load management, um, I mean, and they had some injuries in this series against the uh, the Mavs. So, I mean, if if you if you get to the conference finals, load yeah. management has been validated as a theory. If you don't, I cannot wait for the articles that are going to come out. <laughs> they're they're going to be plentiful.
1: They are going to be so yeah. good about
0: how this is a failed failed thing. All right. Yeah. Hopefully, so, by,
1: hopefully by next season, I stop screwing up everybody's names like. Giannis and calling him Giannis and yeah, condensing well, you know. Luca and Doncic into <laughs> <laughs> with, with Dolchik. <laughs> yeah. So hopefully, uh, I will, and that's just I know their names, that's just me, uh, screwing up. So that's my pledge to you guys to work to- totally understandable.
0: Well, if we're talking about names that you can pronounce, obviously, we have, to, we have to talk about the NHL, right? Because uh, Yaroslav Halak, right, for the Bruins, their uh, their goalie who came in. Uh, let's go ahead and take a moment of remembrance for the 2020 Bruins. We hardly knew ye. Um, we spoke a little bit. We rang the alarm bell. We said, "I know it's three seating games, but I need to see more hustle." And then we got some hustle in the first round, and that was mm-hmm. gone. Mm-hmm. This this uh, this next series against those damn Tampa Bay Lightning. I'm going to keep saying it like that because that's exactly what they are. They they are like the Bond villain. And and the Bruins are, are James Bond. Like mm-hmm. they're 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 always out there. They have they wear a different face in 50 of the movies, but we almost always end up losing to them. And, and it's just like, why is that team of boogeyman? Like you win a game and then you lose the next four. You, your back is against the wall and you go to OT yeah. and you don't score any goals. And then you go to double OT. And like you said, you, and you call this. So I'm 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 putting this squarely on you. Mm-hmm. you. You said he gives up soft goals. Where you said Rask gives up soft goals and then Halak gave up a soft goal in two OT. Now, like, of course, we're sitting here complaining about playoff hockey that goes into two OT. Like, that was awesome to see the team go that far. I just uh, what was all that depth for if you don't have killers that are ready to get all over the ice and increase the pace? You went seven games in the Stanley Cup finals against the Blues last year and you didn't have it. Then you went when your back is against the wall this time and you didn't have it. So is that a team construction or is it is it the culture? Like I, we, we're going to spend a lot of time this offseason trying to figure this out. But uh, yeah, cheers I, to the twenty twenty Bruins. Yeah, moment of silence, and probably Tuukka Rask's career in
1: Boston, maybe, and unfortunately, yeah. maybe Chara's. But we'll get to that in a sec. Um, I think it's a, it's a very strange collapse for me. You go in, you know, with the number one seed. In the power ranking number one spot and then you give up that seed with a couple bad losses not even a couple a lot of bad losses and then you sort of rally going into the start of the postseason um i don't know i mean the bruins are one of those teams that are always in the conversation but you never feel confident about those teams when they go into playoff situations Rask is one of those that is just a a regular season savant, but tends to struggle a little bit once you get into the postseason. Some of that might just be, you know, recency fan biased, where when we lose, I just blame the goalie. But uh, he does tend to give up some pretty soft goals, and I think him stepping away, and I, I, I don't want to fault him for if he actually stepped away to be with his family. I don't know if I necessarily by that i think he sort of saw the writing on the wall and decided okay living in the bubble and doing all of this you know Marshan just came out and said after the loss that you know resuming play was a waste of time and i wonder if russ just felt more that that was the case so he decided to exit stage right early um if it turns out that that's actually the case, you know, I think for me, I would just, let's, let's move on. If you're not going to be here with the team while everyone else is is struggling, it is what it is. But I think Halak stepped up, um, did well enough. I mean, he kept him yeah. in t- contention. I mean, he blocked 30 plus goals in the, the double overtime. The
0: Bruins yeah. actually shot. Forty-five, <laughs> yeah, forty-five shots on goal, and not a single one went in yet. If anyone who's a Bruins fan wants to pin this loss on Jaroslav Halak, I'm going to say, look at yourself in the mirror. And then, even though yeah. I think stats don't matter, I need you to go back and look at that guy who stepped in for a Titan in in, in the New England hockey sports area and tried to right the ship. Yep, and he I- gave you three full periods and an OT with two goals. It is your job. <laughs> at that point to make sure you go put that game away three to two it's not his job yeah it's your job yep
1: now the unfortunate side of all this is the aging core of the team and our leading defenseman who is one of the league's best defensemen even at his age and that is the dano uh he's 43 years old in both of the last two years, where they negotiated extensions, it was done in March, and each one of those was a one-year deal. That didn't happen, so you could speculate that that might mean it's the end of the road for him. But it also could just mean going into kind of an unknown season. Maybe they were trying to, you know, save a little money and and maybe push the extension out to next season uh, and then negotiate then. But you know, you never know. I mean, he has just been a hockey machine. He was in the league for 22 years. He's played a total of 1,553 games. That is insanity. Tip the cap. Tip the cap to Mr. Chara. Uh, 205 goals, 451 assists, a lot of penalties. A lot, a lot of penalties.
0: Uh, he's, He's averaged more penalties than games played. Uh, I think for me, probably one of the things that brought me into the fold to even like really, really appreciate hockey was seeing Chara square up people and just ruin them. If there was a top 10 of Chara's like best hockey fights, I would just watch that and repeat all day. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure that every year there's one of these videos that's on YouTube, but I want to see like, so ESPN, go ahead and make that happen. I need to see the top 10, you know, Zedano Chara fights of all time. I would, I would watch that until my I, eyeballs fell out.
1: And I think the, so one of the things that I think you know, fighting is always one of those debatable conversations and whether there's a place for it in the game, whether it's old school and should should die, that's a conversation for another day. We can spend half the podcast talking about that. But for me and him and his altercations, most of them were not just let me get the team riled up and you know, you get a lot of those guys who go out just to kinda give their team a little extra oomph by amping everybody up. Most of his fights came in either defense of another player or someone going after him for, you know, some of his level of play. Very rarely was he the instigator that went out and just picked a fight just to pick a fight. A lot of times it was a low hit or bad hit on one of his players, a late hit, uh, something where another player on his team was done wrong. So he went out as the sort of enforcer to, to fix that right? One of the big things you hear hockey guys talk about is how fighting allows the game to self-regulate because otherwise you have grown men who are very strong throwing their bodies against each other. You might see more boardings, more cross-checks. You might see some more aggressive plays kind of away from the light where they're just trying to get their shot in on another guy versus square up, drop the gloves, have a 10 second fight, you both go into your penalty box and you come out, there might still be some bad blood, but you're not necessarily out there trying to hurt the other player because you have some sort of vendetta. Um, So there's, there's some legitimacy to that argument. Um, But he was always, you know, a captain or co-captain or an assistant captain, someone who was there to help represent the team. I think it was really fitting if this was his last game in Boston, once it was done and over with, he was the first guy in the line who went out and shook hands with, all the other players and then everybody had nothing but respect for him for the you know all of the conversation yeah. that followed. I think everyone can kinda see sort of what's going to happen down the road. I mean he's still producing very well. He ranks uh first in all active players in plus or minus uh which is you know a feat in its own right. Granted, he, he had a couple really stellar years that might pad those stats a little bit, but to even be in the top five for plus and minus, um, that, that's pretty good. But if he moves on or if he retires, you know, I think he had a, a great career. I'd put him at least in the Bruins Hall of Fame. Oh, I, yeah, I for would, sure. I would definitely consider, given that, you know, all the stats that matter to the NFL, he's, you know, somewhere in the. Twenty for all of them uh, and as an individual player he ranks some of the stats he, in almost everything he's top 50 all you know, players who have played the position so he's, he's definitely for me going to be a, a Hall of Fame candidate I don't, I don't see any reason why he wouldn't be especially with the longevity but I think he's just one cog in sort of the Bruins machine that needs some attention um, all three of their bigger players who produced a lot are all into their thirties now and hockey is a young league with, you know, young legs. It's hard to argue against the success you've had, obviously coming in as the, the number one power ranked team, uh, in several different rankings, ESPNs. theirs was number one, uh, NHL.com. theirs was number one. You had the number one seed coming into it because of the, because of the season before the shutdown so there's still a lot of skill there even if Chara does part ways um i felt that there probably could have been a, ma- a change made there maybe a little sooner you know as much as i love chara um there are shorter faster guys you have guys like krug who can come in and you know not only move well move the puck well but are also a scoring threat as much as they are a defensive threat um I think there's lots of those types of players out there that might help bolster the team a little bit. You kind of take the Tom Brady Brady approach with Chara and you sort of let him move on or retire on his own terms because of what he's done for the team. But it might be extending a little longer than what you might be comfortable. So the conversation off-season might be you know, if you want to stay, you'll stay, but it might be like a bet minimum or just so you know, we might have a player play ahead of you and have you fill in. I don't, I don't know what that conversation would be, but I think if the Bruins want to continue this level or improve, they have to make some changes. Um, yeah, for sure. Yeah, their front line I, is great. They have some decent depth, but obviously two years in a row you've come I mean it's really hard to say and that's where this the
0: spoiled New England fans sort of shows love. Yo, you asked for it you said you raised our losing games Tim, I, am, and those, I am those but... storm clouds are on they're not on the rise anymore they're over you and this is this is what's gonna be happening yeah, so you wish this upon I did so when you I'm... when you have when you have this then you have next season and the Bruins are like losing games like six to two we're going to be on episode yeah. like 53 or 54 by that time. And I'm going to say, hey, Tim, remember? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And I, I'm I'm
1: still here for it. But what I can't complain about, and this happens a lot for fans in New York, fans in Boston, fans in New England in general, we just got bounced in the playoffs. There are plenty of teams that didn't even make it to the Stanley Cup last year. And there are teams that didn't make it into the the playoffs this year. So New
0: England's always been spoiled with a lot of that, that sports pedigree, the sports talent, if you will. So do I think that this season was doom and gloom? Yes, of course we talked about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think in the future that obviously the, the Bruins will have a lot of choices to make. Um, when you talk about depth, like you want the right people. I, I don't need 15, you know, forwards or or guys that I know can crash the boards and they can be good and aggressive when it counts. I, I am looking forward as a fan of a team looking for longevity. I want when you step on the ice, the other team to kind of their holes like, pucker up a little bit. You know what I mean? There's like, Mm -hmm. oh, that's that team. They're really physical. They're going to run us off the boards or they're a threat to score every single time. And I think that even when you watch like the two OT game in which those damn Tampa Bay lighting, you know, put the Bruins to bed this season Mm -hmm. in OT, there was a lot of whack shots that were going on that you could tell that it was just like, let's just try and get something to stick. And eventually when you play those types of games, you're going to lose. But there's other people like other teams in the league that, as far as depth, like you wouldn't expect that they have it. But for example, like the Vegas Golden Knights, like they won their first series four to one. Yep. Right. They're leading their second series now against the Vancouver Canucks three to one. The Colorado Avalanche, like I don't know if this is a product of association by the fact that like the Denver Nuggets are also doing good, but they won their first series four to one and they're up three to two on the Dallas Stars right now. And they have scored five goals in every one of their games <laughs> except for one. Mm hmm. Like when they need to get going, they need to get going. The Islanders beat the Caps four to one. The Caps fired their coach, and now the Islanders are up three to one on the Flyers. But so, like, th- this is going to be one of those seasons where we're going to see a newer person, uh, a, a newer team, kind of get up to the top of uh, Lord Stanley's playoffs and and raise that cup. And it's going to be like, all right, cool, golf clap, way to go. But then, like your your mind is thinking, all right, cool, Boston, we have the depth. You know where the benchmark is, right? You lost to the Blues in seven last year. They got bounced in the first round, so maybe it was was that a fluke? Uh, the Caps bounce in the first round. Maybe last year's or two years ago, they're saying that Cup was like a fluke. Knights are staying cool. We have the Seattle Kraken. They're going to come in in twenty twenty one. So like you need to be setting the future up right now. Mm-hmm. Cause you're going to have a couple teams and it doesn't matter how many people you have on your team. If you think, if you look at your board and you say, Oh, we have depth. Is it the right kind of depth? Cause you can have as many people skating on that ice as you want, but they all need to be there for that one reason. And I just feel for whatever circumstance this year, that just wasn't the case. Right. So, so going forward, I'm a, I'm a
1: golden Knights fan for the re- oh. remainder of this,
0: <laughs> for the remainder of this season. <laughs> We're pulling for Vegas, baby. Uh, well, as much as we crap on like New York teams, you know what I mean. Like I, I gotta, I gotta admit that the Islanders are, are kind of impressive right now. But so are the Avalanche. So I will continue to watch playoff hockey. I would love to see the Vegas Golden Knights win because that championship parade would be like a ghost town. Or would it not be? Would everyone go to Vegas and say COVID nineteen? <laughs> be damned. We're going to Vegas to celebrate the Stanley Cup. You know that that would happen. I just, I just
1: like the irony of a team based out desert. of
0: a desert, winning
1: yeah, a yeah. frozen sport. It's like the oh, yeah. guys from Jamaica winning the, the, the bobsled competition is essentially what we're working with here. Feel <laughs> the rhythm.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's, it's a wildly underrated movie. Not top five, but it's still pretty good. Okay, so that's the NHL. So we're going to skirt on over to NFLville. Uh, there's been a lot of drama in the past few days. Um, a couple days ago, Leonard Fournette woke up, and he was no longer a Jacksonville Jaguar. Mm. Uh Alvin Kamara, maybe. He was having lunch today, eating some beignets down on uh, on Bourbon Street, and then all of a sudden his Twitter blew up because everyone thinks that he's requesting a trade from the New Orleans Saints. Uh, Joe Mixon got a new contract. We're going to have artificial noise that's pumped into the stands. There has been so much drama that's been going on with the NFL in the past few days, and I'm not going to lie, I kind of missed it. Yeah, um, I think th- this season is another.
1: You know, like all the other sports, where, where anytime there's news, people tend to latch onto it. Uh, Alvin Carmera is one of those guys where. Does I Car- uh, did I say Carmera? Car- you you said Carmera. <laughs> what is wrong with me right now? <laughs>
0: You know it's funny as I say it uh. and then I hear it. And like, when, when you said that, the only thing I can see in my head was this Chappelle skit where he pretends to be Tiger Woods and he goes, "I've always wanted to say this, fur shizzle." <laughs> as
1: soon as I said it, I was like, "Maybe maybe, maybe oh no one picked that
0: up." <sighs> Sorry,
1: no no no, that was mine. It's like the fifth time tonight. Super Bowl and places, Stanley Cup. Uh, a mess and I'm I literally haven't had my my 12 ounce beer (laughs) yeah man it's been a uh pretty crazy last two weeks uh not only did Fournette wake up and no longer be a Jaguar uh he's not a football player currently on anybody's team and I know going into the tail end of last season and it was fantasy stocks started dropping a little bit and I know that because I had him on two fantasy teams and that didn't work out well. Um whether or not it's a there's truth to the idea that Fournette had no trade value and they couldn't get anything for him anywhere,
0: that I don't know, that's pretty shady yeah, to throw I don't, out there. That. If that's if that's the case. Even Belichick will give like a 7th rounder like yeah. 5 years from now out to someone. So Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't believe that. But uh Kamara is waiting,
1: it seems, for contract talks, but everyone is saying that he's requesting a trade, which seems to be both news to him and his agent. Uh, How that gets out, there's probably only a few people who are going to make that call, whether it be Twitter or anything like that. Uh, Sometimes where there's smoke, there's fire, but everyone's come out pretty aggressively saying that that's not the case. Um, plenty of room for that discussion because he is drastically underpaid. Now I, I have sort of a, a different take on some of the sitting out versus playing because you got to the table, you signed your contract, you were excited when you signed that contract. And then at any point during your contract, you can just decide to opt out and force the hand to renegotiate. Uh, and I get it you want a little bit of the power you want to get the money where you can you don't want to risk injuries and all that sort of stuff but if i was an owner i would do shorter contracts but more money i would incentivize players to stick around by giving you more than what you might normally get for that position but i'm only going to do it for two or three years because at the end of that third year at the end of that you know if i sign you to a a five-year deal i don't want three years to come around you decide i'm not making enough i'm going to set out well you were really excited when we signed that deal the last time you were totally mm-hmm. on board with it. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. This guy's contract came up, and he's making a ton of money, and you're not in that same ballpark. Tough. I'm sorry. That's just not the market value. We'll we'll revalue. We'll revisit that when we come up to our next contract discussions, and maybe we'll come up and and make up for some of the last money. It's it's always a weird discussion, but he is going to make about 2.1 million dollars this season, uh, and statistically, he is better than or at least as good as any one of the top 10 highest paid players in the league, uh, even the 10th highest player, uh, is making 5.5 million this year, and that's Todd Gurley. Where I mean, last year Todd Gurley was just a, a touchdown machine, so it's really hard to compare the stats for last year, but historically, but yeah, I was gonna say, historically, I mean, they were they were he is there with those guys and the differences in like yards per attempt is in like less than half a yard between all of those guys. The Todd Gurley put up a ton of touchdowns, but other than that, uh, is right behind him and leads that pack. So there, there's lots of value in his position. The saints can afford it. They'd have to make a few cuts to get there, but they could afford to make that change. And he really should be up there because his numbers are pretty close to McCaffrey where across the board, you know, McCaffrey had a lot more carries. He put a little bit more work in. Um, but as far as yards per carry, my average is more. So like, he's not that far off of those two guys. He scored more touchdowns than McCaffrey did. Um, reception yards, they're pretty close. So to have a, $13 million difference between those two players does show that there's some, there's definitely some room for wiggle, whether that should oh, happen sure. at the start of an abbreviated season or not. It's, it, it's already a tough look when your team is losing a ton of money because you don't have people in the seats. So is now a good time to be sitting out? Probably not. He hasn't come out and said he's sitting out pro football reference has him tagged as, as sitting out because he's not happy with his contract. I don't know. They tend to be pretty spot on, so I'll take it with a grain of salt. There is some room for improvement. That's probably going to need to happen sooner or later. He's one of those players they should just pay. A lot of the success for the Saints have come
0: on the back of him as their running back, um, splitting out wide. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it doesn't make sense to me that the Saints have money to push into their locker rooms and say, "You want this bonus? Go win the effing Super Bowl." It doesn't make sense to me that they give Taysom Hill. Uh, this huge contract that no one else yeah. who has any amount of stats are close to him would make. And then you say, Hey, Michael Thomas, Michael Thomas, like, you know, come get this contract. Yeah. Oh, Hey Alvin. um, Hang out for a minute. Just yeah. trust the process. Yeah. Like what? No, absolutely not. And like, I, I get that. It, if you look at running backs, they're probably one of the positions that like the life expectancy is probably the shortest, mm-hmm. unless you're a pass catching running back that are going out. Like you understand why Saquon has say quads, because it is not easy to run through those offensive line holes when you got DNs that are crashing down, wanting to take you, you know, into next week for a spaghetti dinner. Um, it, running back is a very, very destructive position. Yep. And Dalvin Cook already said, you know, like you brought up on the podcast a few weeks ago, hey, I'm gonna hold out or you know, I'd, I'd like to restructure my contract. Like this is what happens. So if you're an NFL team and you watch someone who comes out around the same draft class. And you look at everything else and you say, mm, let's take a look at the numbers. Oh, actually, he's up there with the top. Why don't we do ourselves a favor and why don't we just begin the negotiation? Why don't we, if since we know we're going to have to go back and forth, we're not going to give him the highest offer that he thinks he deserves or that the, the market comp may be, but we're not going to lowball him either. Just take care of the player and the mm-hmm. player will take care of you. That doesn't appear to be happening especially in team, New
1: Orleans right now. Especially a team like the Saints where you have an aging quarterback who is already – rumored to be looking at jobs with ESPN and the NFL network to yeah, broadcast to games. So yeah, you think you would want to hold on to as much talent as you can to help wherever that QB comes in afterwards. I mean, you got rid of, you know, you got rid of some of your star backups already. So th- there's no real exit plan. And I mean, Drew, Drew is still playing at a level where he should continue to play if he wants to. Like he's very much up there. I would say him and Tom Brady side-by-side, side, I would almost lean more towards Drew Brees than I would Tom Brady. Uh, he still has some of that same arm strength, still has some of the game awareness. He does have better skill players around him that help make him better. Um, but at some point, that's going to end. And are you looking to risk some of your, you know, you you have on your roster two players who are arguably in the top 10 in their positions. And you're willing to maybe
0: risk that because yeah. Risk losing one of them because you don't want to pay more money. Like, uh, okay,
1: and he's drastically underpaid. Like there's an argument to be made where he should be in the 10 to 15 million a year range. I think 12 is probably a nice round number that they should lean on. And you know, if you're going to squabble over $3 million to us, $3 million a lot, I'm sure to an NFL player, $3 million is a lot because it's, I mean, obviously it's per year. And if his contract is four years, then. Especially if you're making
0: 2.21
1: million this year. Yeah. Yeah. So like it's a lot. Yeah. And it it makes a difference, you know, depending on the length of the contract, three years is a 3 million a year, over four years at $12 million. That's no longer chump change. So you should, they should be having the conversation. It should never get to the point where you sit out, especially after the year they had last year and the performance numbers that he put up it should have been a no brainer. Hey, let's get the ball rolling on this. We'll get it done before the end of the season. You know, I get it. Everyone's worried about the risk of injuries and whatnot, but what's the bigger risk? A guy sitting out for a
0: season and then offloading yeah. elsewhere. <laughs> like, like who, who are you going to, you're, you're just going to roll with Latavius Murray as your lead back. Like, no, you're not. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like this is the, this is the crazy thing. And and this is the last thing I'll say about this. Cause we, I, we got to do Joe Mixon some justice here. Uh, Remember that the Saints, at one point in time, had Laquan well <laughs> They had Michael Thomas. They had Mark Ingram. Yep. They had Alvin Kamara, and they had Drew Brees, and they did not win the Super Bowl. So, like, you, if the counter argument is, "Well, we had all this talent, and we didn't win," then that is exactly the reason why you say, "Alvin, Kamara, Listen, we're not paying you fifteen to sixteen million a year. We think we're, we'll start the you know the bidding at." 135 per year and you kind of come back and you tell us yeah yes or no like we like at least kind of do what the chiefs are doing where you say hey pat we're going to give you the keys to the city you can buy your own franchise but if you want to take a little bit less like we'd appreciate that so we can go assign some of these other players you know what i mean like the the reason why it's this, the same teams that are always able to structure their salary caps great like new england for example is cuz you underpay for some positions or some talent that you think you can get some other place. And then you pay a couple people. The mm-hmm. Saints put themselves in a situation by paying a lot of people. For them to not have a plan for this is like a sacrosanct Like it, it doesn't make any sense to me. Right. Maybe pay some of that money for the refs next time. And you won't... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> you won't get blown up by Nicole Robbie Coleman. Who is, I haven't seen on any of the Hard Knocks episodes. I don't know if he's still with the team anymore. I'm not a Rams fan. You are. Because you think they're going to win the NFC West. But... You know, who knows? Hmm. I don't think he's there anymore. Joe Mixon has – moving on. Joe Mixon has a new contract, a uh, nice four-year extension here. Adam Schefter's uh, report on that earlier today. And to be honest, even though Mixon didn't didn't wow out the gate, I don't think, you, you have to kind of hand it to him like he stuck around. He went mm-hmm. through the end of the Dalton you know, years and injuries aside – Running backs, just like here's here's a pro tip in your in your fantasy drafts this year, the running back list is not very not very long for those mm-hmm. top tier running backs. Okay, so you want the volume and Mixon, and that and that scheme is a volume guy. I think he can work on obviously catching some more passes, but I think there's going to be plenty of mouths to feed in Cincinnati this year. Especially, they're gonna have to get a little diverse. Obviously, Zach Taylor want to open it up a little bit, so things bode well for Mixon. Uh, I I do agree that you know, he needed a contract extension. Now I'm not going to go ahead and say, is he worth $48 million? No. Yes. That doesn't matter to me. The teams are going to look at the books and say, here's what we think someone's worth. Here's what we'll pay them based off whatever factors we have. The player accepts it. Hey, we are riding off into the sunset. That's, that's all you got to do. Um, but yeah, now you're going to the guys like Chris Carson from Seattle, like guy that broke his hips and like what the injuries thing is going to be against him. Mm -hmm. But like, if I had a choice between Carson or Mixon, I'm probably taking Carson. He's had some fumbling issues, but I, I feel like if you look at, at a guy who wants to be on that team, Mixon is in a really good place right now. And I think he's just sort of been like, he's been steady the entire time. He hasn't been bad. He hasn't been great. Um, so I think this season will change. Obviously you get our new rookie quarterback, like Mixon's going to go out and earn the money this year for sure. So I, I am thinking by the end of the season, my thoughts will have changed on this. Um, But, I mean, good for that, man. While other people are talking about holding out, you get a brand-new contract the same day, like, woo, egg on them face. Carry the two
1: that is, uh, what's that, $12 million a year, which is exactly what we just said Kamara should get. (laughs) Uh, And now I'll change my tune a little bit because Kamara beats him in literally every stat. In fewer attempts, uh, his averages are, he's almost a yard more then Mixon is in the same exact time frame, both from 2017 to 2019. Uh, Total yards, uh, total receiving yards comparatively, and this is all through Pro football reference, Kamara has 2,068 to Joe Mixon's 870. So about 140 more receptions, give or take, over the last season. So that gives me a little bit more value for... Kamara as a utility guy both behind the line and you know out catching passes so if Mixon's gonna get a four year extension on a team like the Bengals the Saints should definitely be able to pay more I would say maybe closer to the 14-15 range than for Kamara he's proven that he can get out and perform he's been some of the key to their success and right now He's probably looking at them and showing them his Twitter feed. You see what's going on here. And if what they're saying, him and his agent are to be believed, they were under the impression that negotiations were already underway. So they were surprised by the same has requested a trade also. So
0: someone's not talking to somebody who's not talking to someone else. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. again, I'm I'm not being overly hard on Mixon. I think he I think he does deserve it. This is just what happens with the nature of NFL contracts. I mean, a few years ago, Aaron Rodgers had that most like expensive contract that Matt Ryan did and you're like, "What the hell?" And then Russell Wilson comes in and blows it up and then Patrick Mahomes just says, "Hey guys, thanks. Can I have the mantle now?" and he just goes to the stratosphere like this is the way contracts work. And I think that all of his running backs in the 2017 class now that they're going to a chance to sort of go for their contract extensions, they're going to do that. And we're gonna have this conversation many more times, I think, throughout the season. Mm-hmm. Um, you got artificial noises being pumped into the stand. Uh, for some teams like the Seattle Seahawks, that might not be so good. But for some teams you do it illegally, like the Atlanta Falcons, that shouldn't be an issue at all. So am I about it? Uh, eh, I don't
1: know. Nah, I gotta I gotta take the curtain approach when it comes to this. Mm. Um, one, I mean, it's artificial and anybody who has any sort of common sense who watches the game knows that it's artificial noise. So every time you hear someone cheating, cheating, cheering, you hear in the back of your mind and you think that's fake noise. And now you're like, Oh, this pumped in noise sounds it's better. Definitely <laughs> fake noise. <laughs> yeah. yeah. This pumped in noise sounds better than this. it. It's it, the, the purpose of it is a lot. It's meant to kind of distract the fan a little bit from how quiet the stadium is. Um, I guess sort of the flip side to that is I haven't watched a game without any fans in the the stands and I can't You imagine... watch
0: like the all 22 film on like the NFL game pass. <laughs> like where all you can do is just see the field. Like, come on, Tim. It's uh I can't imagine how quiet
1: that must be when you're playing in a giant bowl like that. Like I almost wonder mm-hmm. if they should move the games into like a smaller like practice field or something just to kind of, get rid of that bowl effect, which is going to happen when you play in a giant empty field, someone's going to yell and all you're going to hear is just the echo back. But I think, w- you yeah. know, going with the, the Kirchen opinion, it, he did kind of change that a little bit during the pod where he was like, whatever gets people watching. Um, but I think you sort of lose the, the, ra- you, you lose the ability to sort of rationalize what's going on in the world. Right. Like, obviously, some of the CDC information that's come out over the last week might start changing some opinions on whether or not we have fans in and we don't have fans in. Um, I've started seeing people organizing their own mini protests to help get states to open back up. So we may not even make it halfway through the season before they just throw caution to the wind and let everybody in. Uh, I think people are just kind of getting restless. And after a couple of weeks of watching football, because people love their football it's life for a lot of people they're willing to risk life and limb i mean these are the same people who go and will tailgate for five hours before a game drink the whole time drink at the game and then get in a car and drive home like people are willing to take risks both for their health to get in and watch some of these games i i can't imagine it goes too much too much longer throughout the season before they start letting people in and i think once you start seeing artificial
0: noise and the disconnect between how that works um yeah the the first time you see people like you know a couple seconds off like when it's when interception happens like you know there's the pick ah you're like nah yeah (laughs) let's just let's just go back and do something different
1: yeah now what i don't know if it's done in post or if there's someone there literally at a switchboard like pressing Flipping the buttons it as it happens. If it's in post, it's not going to make much of a difference to the fans anyway, but if they're physically piping it in, I can't wait to look at all the sort of outtakes that happen at the end of the season where some guy hits the wrong button for uh for a pickoff and it's, you know, everybody cheering instead of groaning or, you know, something mm-hmm. on those lines or, or when a guy shanks a kick, he accidentally hits the cheer button and everyone goes wild. Like they just, want the game. um, um, <laughs> it's i don't know i have mixed feelings about it i think i personally i i don't think they should put it in there just so we we see like 2020 is a bizarre year and there should be things that are reminding us of the situation we're in and the more we sort of hide behind technology and things like that i think you know we lose that a little bit so i don't know i also think it'd be weird to watch a game with zero noise and just hear the player call outs echoing everywhere. And then you're going to hear coaches calling in plays and the other coach is going to hear that play calling in. So then you have that mm. dynamic. Now you're going to have everybody covering there. And then you have the sheets with all the signs that they use to, you know, fool the lip readers everywhere. And then,
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. It, it, it'll happen.
1: But uh, maybe
0: it, like folks like Aaron Rodgers like won't be able to just uh, get a whole bunch of offsides calls because, you know, the defensive line can't hear anything because of the crowd or maybe for a team like Seattle, Like maybe, maybe it isn't, you know, home field advantage. Maybe they don't get as many false starts this year. Who knows? Yeah. But if we're talking about technology, you know, maybe you've been around a TV or the tweet sphere and maybe you've seen, um, I'm going to, I don't know if you know this. I have season tickets to the Cameron Jarrell Newton hype train (laughs) and, uh, Bill Belichick gave a whole two minute clip on him on Sirius XM radio on the Rich Eisen show the other day. That man is your starting quarterback bag it. It's happening. Yeah. He's been talking all about him. There's a yep. video of this dude dancing to Christian music and rap music at the practices. That man's your quarterback. Now, is he a sneaky draft of fantasy? I can't tell you that yet, but I'm telling you, he's going to be the quarterback in New England. And uh, did you see the Subway commercial that Bill Belichick is in? Look at this. Tom Brady was in New England for almost 20 years, and there were commercials, I'm sure, but they weren't Subway commercials. Now, all of a sudden, there's dancing and practices, and Bill is in Subway commercials? I like this new look, New England. I'm not a New England fan, but I like where we're going with this. I know you may not, but I'm here for it. guys nah, I,
1: I said, uh, was it last week, the week before we were talking about the Patriots? And I felt that it was sort of a, actually, I mentioned it on the, the Schefter podcast, which if you haven't listened to, you should go back and take a listen to. Um, I honestly think what you're starting to see is a shift in the mindset of the Patriots, where it's not all this lock it down, no fun team, um but i wonder what this is going to translate to after the season like sure all this is fun now but if you go into the season you start losing some games it's not gonna be so much fun and what are the repercussions from there now do you have to like lock it down and suddenly everyone's miserable because it's not what they were at the beginning of the season i mean you've already had players who got picked up this off season coming out saying that the conditioning that they're put through is the hardest of any team they've ever been on so They're still working hard.
0: They're still putting them through the paces. Um, Maybe it's like um, that's like a weird reverse psychology, like bell check punishment. Like, oh, you want to listen to music during practice? Yeah, I'm going to need 15 gassers from you. And everyone's like, but coach, we only do six other teams. Well, this is New England, and I never let anyone listen to music. So I'm putting the hoodie up, and you can't listen to your your beats by Dre until we do 15 gassers. But I mean, that's cool because Cam's going out there doing 15 gassers, and he's jazzing around everyone's loving it so yeah uh,
1: i will say from for the belichick gonna be good from the belichick commercial thing um belichick Hilarious. in season versus belichick i think there's more coming too there was some footage
0: that leaked from some of the film i can when only like hear so a... much good news in one day to hear bill <laughs> belichick possibly going around like is he going to do a, like a little caesars commercial next you know amazing. what i mean Dude, he's, that he's, would be that would be incredible he's coming out with his retirement plan Media and, and
1: <laughs> acting. No, but anybody who, who is a fan of Belichick or may not even be a fan of his attitude sort of throughout the season, go back and look at, um, you'll probably find it on YouTube, but look up, there's a, like the two bills on ESPN. Oh, great. That's, great that great, is a great, great one. You see sort of a, a better side of him. Uh, look at the NFL top 100 player list where he's featured as sort of a commentator. Those are great. oh yeah,
0: it was the greatest hundred players of all time. Yeah, it was like him, Collinsworth, and some other folks. Yeah, yeah. got some great input. And
1: there's a couple uh, floating around on YouTube that are uh, I I can't remember the name, of them, but I know you can you can find them. But there's a documentary that is that they do. It's a little short one, but they have him out on his boat, and you know he kind of named it after how many rings he had, which was kind of funny. But he's he seems he's just a drastically different person when football is not in the picture. And you can't argue with the success they've had, and if that's the if that's what works, then you got to stick with it because you're more successful than literally anybody else in your position has ever been. Um, but once football's out of the picture, he does seem like a relatively decent guy, and I'm wondering if we might start. I I doubt it. I was gonna say I wonder if we're gonna start seeing some more of that this season, as you know maybe they loosen up the reins a little bit. But I think once football starts, and you know maybe nobody's taken. Preseason as seriously because of you know the situation, but I think, and I'd be willing to put money on it. Once you sort of get back to regular football season, you might see some of that stuff maybe go to the wayside as everyone kind of refocuses. But
0: yeah, but like you're building foundation, you're bringing in. Look, I will say this as as my last point. um uh, It's obvious that since the Patriots, you know. Caught all that heat for what? What game were they filming for the the Do Your Job production? Was it the Bengals game last year, yeah. or was it the Browns game? Was it the Bengals I think game? It was the Bengals game, yeah. So if it's the Bengals game, the reason why Joe Mixon got a four year extension is because they knew Belichick had his eye on. Him. Yeah, they're like we got to We got to lock this dude up <laughs> right now. Next four years, we cannot allow Bill Belichick to pay this dude one point one million dollars to yeah. take special team snaps. That was just never gonna happen. Yeah. All right. I have my own opinions on the filming and the punishment
1: based on that. I think it was a little. You can't expect an intern like the producer was away and he came back and an intern was like, I work with enough interns and love them to death. A lot of them want to try and impress and make a statement and like, Oh, look at this B-roll film. I got look at this here. I wouldn't be surprised if it wasn't even a thought that went through his mind that like, Oh, maybe I shouldn't be recording the
0: sidelines here. Because no, I of course have not. There would out. never be a thought of working for a team that had already dealt with one of the heaviest sanctions in all of NFL mm. history for illegally filming teams. You're right. And for an interview, for filming an intern, from, who, no, filming no, from yeah, the never would have happened. Location,
1: filming itself, <laughs> it matter wasn't, no. Filming itself was not illegal. <laughs> they changed the location in which you could record. We weren't discussing mental gymnastics
0: on anyway. this podcast. That's that anyway. not what we're doing here. All right, all but right. Let's let's put this one in of these back. <laughs> one of these days. One of these days. Right. Let's finish it out uh, before we get into what's in my cup here. We got we to gotta speak a little tennis. All right. The U.S. Open started this week, and the first big name already knocked out, Coco Gauff. Right, The tournament's already without most of its big draws, like men's number two and three, you know, Roger Nadal and Federer, and the female number one and two, um, Ashley Barty and Simona Halep. They're among 30-plus other people who have opted out or are missing the Open due to injury. So injury and COVID. If you're the, a lot of them have actually yeah. opted out because of COVID related. But it's a good, it's a good oh, blend of the two. Yeah, didn't um, didn't Djokovic have a party? Where a whole bunch of people caught yeah. COVID. You know what I mean? So like, so if there's a sport who's actually like super affected by uh, COVID this year, it's it's got to be tennis. So I feel pretty bad for him to be honest, because yeah. I mean, you have thirty four, thirty five players. Like, how many people are in, in tennis tournaments? Isn't that like half of them? for yeah. more?
1: Yeah, I mean there's there's enough world ranked players to to fill it out but uh and you still got some of the big ones. Um like Serena's there. She's playing. Mm-hmm. Um still seems to be a big event. If you've never been to the US Open, it's got to be on your bucket list even if you're not really a tennis fan. It's such a cool place to be in. It's like a tennis theme park almost. It's unreal. Um but yeah, it's it's weird that they decided with all of your big name players basically opting out to move forward with it. Um in the face of all of your players saying that you know it was unreasonable to play within the restrictions that are there. But be interesting what happens. I think uh because of the, the long layoff that everybody else had, you're gonna maybe see some of these guys bounce a little early as well. But
0: yeah, I think so. So hopefully there's some uptick in tennis. Yeah. Or at least good tennis. I'm sure we'll see some. Yeah. All right. Let's go get into it. Our favorite part. What's in my cup? Tim, it's what's in my cup. Um, What's in your cup this week? I am paying a little homage to the brewery
1: I once worked at and very, very rarely do events for now. But uh, it's a Brewery called Black Hog Brewing out of Oxford, Connecticut. They just had their sixth anniversary this last weekend, and they always brew a couple beers for that. Um, but this is a French vanilla coffee milk stout, which is, uh, spoiler alert, I cheated and had one this weekend in celebration of Black Hog, so I already know what this one is. I was looking forward to having another one. I did save it for tonight. I appreciate it. Yes. Shout Good out stuff. shout out to uh Black Hog Brewing. Tyler, you're amazing. Um also, congratulations to Patrick Mahomes. Rumor has it he proposed tonight. If you listen to this, I Patrick.
0: Mean, yeah. This is for you. Oh oh I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna tag him. I'm gonna tag him in a tweet. <laughs> yep. Cheers, man. All right. I am drinking an IPA from American Solera out of Tulsa, Oklahoma. Okay. It's called I Want to Talk About Mosaic. Mosaic is my most favorite and adored hop. Um, I have unsuccessfully lobbied my wife to maybe think about naming our first child Mosaic. It's not going to happen, but uh, it would be cool. Just, it's just a, just a nice, cool name. Okay. And American Solera makes a lot of great beers.
1: For those of you, uh, for those of you paying attention, I had American Solera last week. Last week, yep. And mine was actually brewed here in Connecticut, so they are Globe Trotters. Actually, they're contract brewed by Twelve Percent Brewing, but <laughs> <laughs> you can find them in All a lot right, of places Cheers, now. man.
0: Cheers, sir. This is the episode in the books. We're putting the the ending note on the Bruins. Yeah, we are getting into the NFL season. We are like what nine or ten days away from from the first game. Yes, sir. It's crazy crazy absolutely crazy i got a, i got a couple fantasy drafts this week you got a couple fantasy drafts coming up what's your rating on that beer by the way
1: oh this is a solid one but unfortunately know where my allegiances lie when it comes to stouts so this was uh this is no shot to black hog but angry chair still king of the roost when it comes to, to stouts but i give this one a solid uh it's it's got when you look at the can a little bit, it looks like it's going for that sort of Starbucks-y look. So yeah. when you open it, it, you expect, like, overwhelmingly sweet. And it's not. It's got this nice, subtly sweet. And I've always been a big fan of their coffee milk stout in general. Uh, their brewing process for it is fantastic. We used to, on canning days uh, in the morning, we would take some of the coffee that was used for it. And we would do a little bit of a a little depth charge sort of there you go. in the in a beer and, and down the hatch to kind of get the day running so, so it's got a little soft spot in my heart but i would give this one a solid i'd give it a solid four. Oh yeah.
0: sweet yeah it's That's good. good stuff um this beer is fantastic and i'm on first uh first taste i want to say like 4.3 4.4 but of course untapped only does quarter points and because you know math Four below, you round down. I'm gonna to have to give it a 4.25 on Untapped, but this is <laughs> this is a really good mosaic beer. Now, you were talking about Fox Farm. You talked about Fox Farm a lot. Yeah, uh, I have like a like a craft beer counter. I got one a couple years ago from my mother-in-law, and I I bought a new one like every single year since. And this month in September, it, it's Fox Farm is the feature. Brewery. Nice. So it's like it, I can't get away from it. I might actually have to like first. if I uh. If I make my hour and a half
1: long drive out there to get some, I will send it your way. Um, mm. On a closing note, I don't think Andy Reid could be any more relatable. He was given his Super Bowl ring today. And when asked what he plans to do with it, his response was, and I quote, uh, he will wear it to special occasions or he wants a free cheeseburger.
0: <laughs> that guy loves cheeseburgers. Yeah. I, you got to just, you got to respect how down to earth that dude is he wears yeah. Hawaiian shirts to celebrate at the NFL uh you know coaches meeting he talks about what did you do after the you know the night of the Super Bowl he's like I went home and ate a cheeseburger and celebrated like I'm a I'm a burgers guy too but Andy Reid shout out to you shout out to you Andy this 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 beer's for you <laughs> and let's also pour a little bit out digitally for the passing of Chadwick Um mm. uh, fantastic Hollywood actor Yep. just absolute legend in his own right with uh you know, Marshall, 42, Black Panther. Mm-hmm. Uh, just unbelievable roles back to back to back. and uh, Many of which he filmed while he was sick and not telling anybody about
1: it. He he was, I think, in yes. production for six movies or so. Two of them being Marvel films without telling a single person. Uh, and tell you assholes out there who are giving him shit about how much weight he lost and what he looked like. Stop. Reflect a little bit think about what you're doing online before you keep going. Cause this sh- should be an eye opener that you never really know what the person on the other side is going through and your little 140 characters of whatever crappy opinion you
0: might have.
1: Yeah. Just keep it to yourself.
0: Yeah. Just brutal. This, this year has not been good for entertainment stars with the loss of Kobe. And then of course Chadwick. Yeah. So, I, I don't think anyone had that on their 2020 bingo card. So yep. I think we can all agree that uh, since we're in September now, we should retire those 2020 bingo cards. If you won, great, but you shouldn't be celebrating that. And if you haven't won, uh, don't be trying to get your last things in in the last quarter of 2020. No, that's that's not good. But we're sports, uh, because we're sports, because of sports podcasts,
1: I'm going to tell you to go watch 42. Great film, but also oh yeah, Wakanda
0: forever, baby. Wakanda forever. And that's it. That's all we have for this week's episode of Stats Unmatter Podcast. We really appreciate everyone listening and we hope that uh, obviously you're a big fan. You're liking it. You're sharing it. You're telling your friends. Uh, you're talking on the digital water coolers at work. and Zoom, and Slack and saying, you probably heard of this podcast, but if you haven't, you need to go listen to it. Oh, you're in a meeting right now? Cool, hit me back after the meeting. Right, <laughs> put it out there on social media. Follow us. Retweet some of our tweets. We appreciate the folks that have been sharing the links on Facebook. You follow us on on Twitter. You're following us on Instagram. We really appreciate that. Mm -hmm. Keep that going, guys. We love that support. And of course, you know, we've been talking about the NHL the past couple episodes. And that's because you guys brought that to us. We talked about golf today because that was brought to us. Hey, why aren't you guys talking about golf? You know, and we're we're going around. I mean, if we don't get sports going back in in full throat here pretty soon, we might have to start doing ESPN Ocho breakdowns. And I'm not against it. I mean the ACL Johnson Cornell Championships have been interesting. And I could never play Cornhole at that level. Those folks do. But I don't really want to talk about it for 20 minutes in a <laughs> row. So uh, uh. We can continue to talk about these things, or you guys can save us and give us some topics. So hit us up, let us know what you like, what you don't like. Go ahead, subscribe, like, give us a five-star rating. We appreciate you, the beloved fans of the Stats podcast. And we'll talk to you very soon. Cheers, everybody.